Ragbag presents I Like the Sound, a celebration of the sound of things. I like the sound. I like the sound. I like the sound. That's a beautiful sound. That's a really beautiful sound. A celebration of the sound of things. That's a beautiful sound. That's a really beautiful sound. I like the sound of dinosaurs. The sound I'd imagine a dinosaur probably would have made, maybe. At the very least, I like the sounds dinosaurs make in films. But maybe they didn't really roar like that. Maybe they tweeted like canaries. They're related to birds, right? I like the sound of a dinosaur's footsteps. The big ones, especially. T-Rex footsteps. That must have been a hell of a sound. Giant scaly feet slamming into the earth, dislodging stones, crushing sticks, leaves, any number of unsuspecting insects. But not flowers, because there were no flowers in those days. I only just learned that. I like the sound of dinosaurs. I like the sound dinosaurs sound in my imagination. I like the sound of pterodactyl's wings flapping in my mind. This week we're talking about birds and dinosaurs. It turns out we have a pretty solid idea of what dinosaurs sounded like. We'll investigate that shortly. But first, let's talk about birds. I've mixed together some of our regular contributors talking about birds. Let's hear from them now. Georgia Train, Neo Geo, Susie Buttress and Manda Rin. We've got two owls that are nesting in a tree right outside our bedroom window. And it's a pretty nightly occurrence that we just have a, a couple of little hoots going on every single night in the middle of the night. Uh, so that's my favourite sound at the moment. I keep imagining them. It's sort of in this um, dreamlike state as well. You hear the owls and you kind of your dreams start being about birds and, and climbing up into trees and things like that. So um, I've, I've seen them in my dreams, but not in, not in real life. I've, I've seen them in my dreams. We've got two owls. We've got two owls. I've seen them in my dreams. We've got two owls. I've seen them in my dreams. We've got two owls. But I've seen them in my dreams. Rain and bird song. Rain and bird song. Rain and bird song. It's much more vibrant and energetic. 
and currently you will hear robins a lot they're probably the bird you're hearing first thing in the morning it's much more vibrant and energetic rain and birdsong in the morning rain and birdsong in the morning we've got two owls but I've seen them in my dreams we've got two owls but I've seen them in my dreams rain and birdsong in the morning it's much more vibrant and energetic I've made a recording once of this because I always found it so beautiful and if you happen to catch it at just the right time in the morning you can get this sound of just soft falling rain on the leaves and the buildings outside just before anyone wakes up just before the traffic gets going in the morning and the birds are just waking up as the sun is only beginning to come above the horizon and everything is just calm there's a sensation in the air as well and there's the quiet bird song in the rain And just a quiet bird song in the rain. And just a quiet bird song in the rain. It's funny you say that because I, I realized today there was something that I quite like the sound of. Well, where I live, there happens to be a lot of seagulls. I was hanging the washing out in my back garden, and all I could hear was seagulls, and they were just chirping away. And it just made me feel like I was on the beach, or it was just a really relaxing summer's day. And every day almost, I'll hear seagulls squeaking outside my window, flying around, making that seagull sound. Sometimes I just cannot stand it. But other times, it makes me just feel so at home and, and just calm because I know when they're going like that, then there's no dangers outside. There's nothing wrong, not that there necessarily is on any given day. But if they're doing that, then all is right. I just realized how much I love the sounds of, of the birds and it's just really relaxing and kind of takes you away from normality. So as much as hanging out washing is not an enjoyable pastime being outside and listening to nature sounds like that is very nice. This is from an article from Jurassic Dreams, the Dinosaur Fossil Authority, written by Juan A. Pablador. It's called Dinosaur Sounds Unveiled, How Scientists Figured It Out in Eight Facts. Hoots, booms and coos were more likely than Jurassic Park's roars. As incredible as it sounds, 
paleontologists have made in recent years an educated guess about the sounds that dinosaurs emitted. Their assumptions are mainly based on the following eight facts. Number one, dinosaurs and birds shared vocalization fundamentals. The most important assumption is that dinosaurs were the ancestors of birds. The transition lasted more than 150 million years. This is a proven fact and gives scientists a good base to start from. Number two, closed mouth versus open mouth. There is a wide classification. Closed mouth anatomies yield lower frequency sounds than open mouth. The vocalization has evolved at least 16 times and these changes indicate that theropod dinosaurs such as Tyrannosaurus rex might have had closed mouth vocalizations, yielding lower frequency sounds than current birds. Number 3. Neck trachea syrinx. It has also been studied that an enlarged syrinx or long necks contributed to lower frequency sounds. Species with these traits were relatively large, such as the Diplodocus, and might have used sounds during courtship employed by advertising males. Number 4. Lungs. The shape and size of the lungs together with the chest and throat can determine the volume of sounds that the dinosaurs might have made. A nanotyrannus could have made a similar sound to that of a crocodile, powerful yet with a low frequency. Number 5. Vocal organs. A fossilized syrinx from the Mesozoic was studied and scientists determined that non-avian dinosaurs did definitely not make the kind of calls and screeches that we can hear from modern birds. Number 6. Feathered or non-feathered bodies influence sound patterns. A study on the acoustic radiation can explain that whatever sounds dinosaurs emitted could have been modulated by specific radiation patterns influenced by the type of skin around the vocalizing parts. For example, feather-free skin dinosaurs might have sounded more like an ostrich, neck completely feather-free, or a grouse, lateral areas of the neck do not have feathers. Number 7. Crests and resonating chambers. The crests of some duck-billed dinosaurs, the hadrosaurs, had resonant extensions. A study in the Journal of Paleobiology explains that these elongated breathing tracks could produce low-frequency sounds, and we know that the dinosaurs were able to listen to such sensitive noises because of the physical properties of the bones transmitting the sounds between the eardrums and the middle ear. In addition, those crests might have acted as a resonant chamber, like for the Coryphosaurus. Number 8. Tails Last but not least, dinosaurs with very long tails could have made noises by flicking it at supersonic speeds. The buzz might have travelled significant distances. It is impossible to certify some of the assumptions of the paleontological community, especially these non-visual ones. What is true is that what the sound technicians of Jurassic Park did back in the 90s was a tremendous job to make it feel real, or at least appealing.
Speaking of which, this is from a Vulture article written by Kyle Buchanan called You'll Never Guess How the Dinosaur Sounds in Jurassic Park Were Made. If people knew where the sounds in Jurassic Park came from, it'd be rated R, laughed Gary Rydstrom. Though the Jurassic Park job was fun, Rydstrom remembers it as a tall order. He had to create dozens of distinct dinosaur noises essentially from scratch, since no one really knows what these long dead animals would have sounded like. His solution was to spend months recording animal noises, some exotic, some not then tweaking those homegrown sounds to create something otherworldly but still organic. What recognisable animals did he use to mix together the raptor, the T-Rex and all of Jurassic Park's other dinosaurs? The intelligent velociraptors appear to have their own simple language and it turns out that it's the language of love. It's somewhat embarrassing, but when the raptors bark at each other to communicate, it's a mating tortoise, said Rydstrom. I recorded that at Marine World. The people there said, would you like to record these two tortoises that are mating? It sounded like a joke, because tortoises mating can take a long time. Still, that wasn't the only animal element used to create the raptor noises. When the raptor shows up in the door window in the kitchen, the breathing noise is a horse said Rydstrom. We used the horse in about three or four different dinosaurs. Jimmy, what is it? It's a velociraptor. It's inside. Galimimus flock recalls a stampede of wild horses, there's good reason for it. I remember recording a female horse and the male horse came right by her and she squealed because she was in heat, laughed Rydstrom. A lot of animals in heat make a very unique sound and she squealed at this male because he got a little too close and she was excited about the male I assume. And that's the squeal the Galimimuses make when they're passing by and the squeal one makes when it's getting eaten by a T-Rex. One of the key elements of the raptor screams was a boy dolphin in heat, so you can see a pattern here. The fearsome Tyrannosaurus rex is one of the biggest animals in Jurassic Park, but some of its key noises came from Rydstrom's tiny Jack Russell Terrier Buster. The way they animated the T-Rex was very dog-like, especially when it grabs the Gallimimus and the lawyer and shakes them to death, said Rydstrom. Every day I would see my dog playing with the rope toy, pretending like he's killing his prey. Was Buster's Jurassic Park cameo an isolated incident? No, I use my pets all the time, laughed Rydstrom. In Terminator 2, I recorded the sound of Buster eating Poppy Chow and that became the crunch when the T-1000 spiked that guy's eye socket. One of the fun things in sound design is to take a sound and slow it down, 
it becomes much bigger, he continued. That was inspired by Ben Burtt, the great sound designer from the Star Wars movies and a mentor of mine. He did the Rancor Beast in Return of the Jedi by slowing a Chihuahua sound down. It's one of the secrets of sound design that if you slow something down, something small, it brings out elements of the sound that you could probably never get if you recorded something big. As for that bone-shivering, theatre-shaking T-Rex roar, the key element of the T-Rex roar is not a full-grown elephant, but a baby elephant, said Rystrom. So once again, a small animal making a small sound, slowed down a little bit, has more interest to us than what a big animal might do. Brachiosaurs singing is one of my favourite sounds in the movie because it's beautiful but like all good sound design it's made from a non-beautiful source which is donkeys, said Rydstrom. You think of donkeys and they kind of yodel, you know? There's this pitch shift in donkey vocals and if you slow them way down you get almost a hooting song-like quality. That's the Brachiosaur when it's in its splendour mode. And what about later in the movie? when it's in its sneezing mode. Oh, that's a whale blowhole and a fire hydrant. I work at Skywalker Ranch, which has a lot of cattle around, so I used a lot of cows for the Triceratops, said Rydstrom. But the main sound of the sick Triceratops is its breathing, this long, slow inhale and exhale. That's actually one of the only elements of the movie that isn't an organic sound. I use this long cardboard tube with a spring in it, a reverb device that makes sounds seem stretched out and deeper and weird. So when Sam Neill puts its ears right up to the chest cavity of the Triceratops and listens to its breathing, there's a lot of cow in there. But the key element of the breathing is mostly me breathing into a tube. Rydstrom admitted that he did sneak one other human voice into the movie, his friend Dietrich. He was visiting me. I turned on the mic and said, can you make any weird sounds? And he did this phlegmy guttural growl. In the kitchen attack scene, there's a close-up of the raptor slowly opening its mouth when it's about to attack Lex as she's hiding in a cabinet. And that sound is mostly my friend Dietrich doing this weird guttural growl. At the time, it felt like cheating when I would use myself or any other human to make a dinosaur sound. I felt like I was cheating the sound design gods. The sounds Rydstrom used to animate the newly hatched dinosaur are just as adorable as the creature itself. It's just been born, so at first it's really squeaky and cute, and we recorded a lot of baby animals, baby owls, baby foxes, and things like that, he said. And no, your ears aren't deceiving you. When Sam Neill finds out that the cute baby dino is actually a vicious velociraptor, the sounds it emits become more unsettling. That's exactly right. As soon as he asks, what kind of dinosaur is this, you start hearing these raspier baby owl sounds, said Rydstrom. I already knew what the adult raptor would sound like, that it would have this screechy, raspy sound. So I tried to find a baby animal that has that rasp in it. When we first meet the Dilophosaurus, it cocks its head 
at Dennis Nedry and lets out an appealing trill. Made from a swan, revealed Rydstrom. Swans make a cute hooting sound, so the cute version of the Dilophosaurus sound like a swan for the most part. He chuckled. Part of the fun of doing these kind of jobs is that I had no idea what a swan sounded like before. I like the sound of dinosaurs. I like the idea that there's a parallel universe where humans were the first dominant species disappearing before millions of years prior to the first emergence of dinosaurs. The dinosaurs evolve up to a point where they're capable of analysing the fossilised remains of long dead species and they discover these strange two-legged creatures and speculate of what they might have been like. Later, when the dinosaurs have developed their own version of cinema, someone will make a film about a theme park filled with the resurrected human species. But what did these humans actually sound like? The dinosaurs will ask themselves. They'll employ a sound designer. The sound designer will replicate the sound of the humans as best he can, using mating tortoises, baby elephants, and his own Jack Russell Terrier. I like the sound of the dinosaurs talking, discussing which sound effects might be the most authentic. I Like the Sound was written, presented and produced by myself, Frank Burton. A complete list of source material can be found in the show notes. Many thanks to this week's contributors, Georgia Train, Neo Geo, Susie Buttress and Mandarin. Georgia will also be appearing on my other podcast, Ragbag, this week. Check out the links to everyone involved in the show notes. I've made use of Neo Geo's track Birds and Rain at 4.20am. It's taken from the latest Neo Geo album, which is a great thing. My website is frankburton.co.uk. It contains everything you need to know about my other work, including my new novel, which you should definitely read or listen to. The audiobook version is on Bandcamp. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ragbag Presents. Get in touch. Let us know what you like the sound of. I will see you soon.